good Tuesday morning and welcome to Connect, the California NBA's weekly podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. Hope everyone had a good long weekend and are uh, you're ready, ready to uh, get back to work here on a uh, Tuesday morning. Got a great uh, guest this morning. I'm excited to get in a conversation with her and chat about uh, the future of the industry and and uh, listen to her story here in a few minutes. But uh, before we do that, let's thank our sponsors over at Accelerate. So if you're looking to close out more loans in 2021, which again, everyone should be saying yes to that, then uh, it's high time you check out Accelerate's award-winning customer engagement platform that features lead management, CRM, call routing, sales enablement, marketing automation, borrower engagement, and borrower engagement, and data intelligence through innovative use of multi-channel marketing, which includes text, social media, email, direct mail, phone, ringless voicemail, retargeting, and much, much more. And as we always say, if you're not following Josh Friend on LinkedIn, you're missing out. He's got a lot of great content there. He's on, seems like, every webinar and every podcast there is in the industry right now. So uh, he's out there and uh, has a lot of great information for you. And if you want to schedule a personal demo, just go to Accelerate.com. You can do that there. All right, before we jump into the conversation, I want to remind everyone again about our new Mortgage Innovators site that we just launched here in uh, just about a month or so ago at the Mortgage Innovators Conference. It's a new resource site for the industry that's got everything, everything from acquisition, top of the uh, top of the funnel strategies and insights, all the way down to capital markets and secondary market uh, strategies and everything in between. And it's built for everyone from the LO who just started and doesn't really know what they don't know yet to the uh, seasoned uh, CTO that's looking to add to their tech stack and just wants to find out what the latest uh, latest and greatest is out there. So make sure and uh, go to mortgageinnovators.com, bookmark the site. And uh, I mean, right now we've just got a, a new white paper that posted from Agora on the future of residential real estate valuation. So a great, uh, great insight there to check out. And uh, we're gonna be having some new, uh, new and exciting things happening on the site soon. We're gonna be launching a new podcast here in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that and uh, make sure and uh, stay tuned to the site because we'll be having a lot of uh, fun things and uh, innovative things coming to you soon. All right, well, let's jump into the conversation now. Without any further ado, want to welcome in an old friend of the association here, Laura Martell. Laura is uh, EVP at Mountain West Financial down there in Southern California. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing great, Dustin. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for joining the podcast today. I so appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the, big fan of the show and um, excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's high time we've had you on the show. Laura was actually one of our uh, future leaders a few years ago and has been really supportive of the association and uh, and the future leaders program in particular for the last few years. So definitely a, a friend of the association here. Um, so let's start with your story, Laura. Let's uh, for those that don't know you well, uh, how did you get started in the industry? And uh, you know, particularly since we're focusing on uh, uh, young folks in the industry this uh, this month. I'm curious to know just what was the uh, what was it like getting your start in the industry, you know, back in that sort of that uh, boom and bust period in the 2000s. Yeah, so I got my first official start in the industry in 2002. Um, I think, like many of us, I did not grow up anticipating I was going to be in the mortgage industry. Unlike a lot of people, though, I did grow up in the industry. So um, that was kind of my official start was in 2002. I have been incredibly fortunate to have such kind of a unique path here, I think, and um, so many opportunities for different experiences, all within Mountain West, but um, at different different channels, uh, different levels of the organization, um, different departments. So, so my upbringing into the department, I, into the industry was probably a little bit more unique, but 
um, similar to so many people that I talked to in the sense that I didn't think I was going to end up in the mortgage industry. Well, they don't. Fisher Price doesn't still doesn't make the uh, you know little mortgage banker character that uh, was so. <laughs> You know, it's not even an option. You got your firemen, your policemen, but there's no, you know, mortgage banker guy. Um, we should fix that. <laughs> exactly. So I, I'm curious. Uh, you know, I mean, you you came up, like you said, in 2002. Was it a, uh, a sort of a, a shock to your system? Maybe having a uh, you know family in the industry, you may have been more prepared for this than others. But you know, was it how much of a shock was it to see? You know, you came in right as the boom kind of kicked off there, and then obviously. <laughs> crashed spectacularly at the end of the decade. Yeah, so I think the reason I was brought in, frankly, was just because we were so busy as an industry. Um, at that time, I mean, I was making coffee packages of piggyback loans with a hole punch that was practically a drill press, I think, at the time. And um, that was just it, is I was coming in nights and weekends. And um, I don't know that I felt the frenzy necessarily, because I wasn't there during the day at that point. I was there nights and weekends. but looking back on it i think that's why i was brought in at that time was just because we were at a period where a very unique period as far as just the boom that was there and then i was i was really here full time during the bus so i did get to experience both sides of it it was i, I was actually just talking with one of our other evps a couple weeks ago and as odd as it sounds kind of that bust in the you know 2008 2009 those in, in a lot of ways are some of our strongest years and not in the sense of production certainly not in the sense of you know things things that really don't matter um in a lot of ways not not in terms of revenue not in terms of those but in terms of resilience in terms of feeling a community not just within mount west but within the industry i mean it, it is a it's a strong point in in the history of the industry not a high point but a strong point yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it certainly is one of those because you had a lot of certainly had a lot of people come into the industry when the, you know, when the, the feast was on and then they didn't stick around, you know, after the uh, after it crashed. And I think that the smallness of the industry got much smaller and tighter. And, you know, to your point, there is a lot of community amongst people who went through that experience. I mean, it's sort of a, a shared a sh shared catastrophe that we all went through. Absolutely. So, I mean, that may that may be the answer to this next question, but uh, what's been the uh, you know, biggest challenge for you to overcome in, in your career so far? You know, I think, um, I, I don't know that I really had a direct impact in, in kind of that 2008, 2009 realm. You know, I certainly was a beneficiary of being able to watch the community, watch, watch people um, become more closely knitted. You know, like you said, I mean, we still talk to people now, even if they're not part of the Matt West family who were a part of it back then. And it's it's always of fond memories of that time. Um, and just the, the things people did, I know for us personally, I mean, you know, people opting to furlough as opposed to having to let team members go. And just, like I said, a, a very strong period. But I would say personally, um, I guess for me, it's been a little bit of, of forging my own path and kind of, uh, again, a more unique story, but uh, stepping out from the shadow of kind of family in the industry, that, that's been my personal challenge, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a, in any industry, in any business, I think that's a, a, a sort of an overlooked challenge that I think, uh, you know, people tend to assume sometimes that, hey, you're, you know, 
born into the industry, you've got a, a leg up, but in other ways, you know, it's a major challenge sort of, you know, cutting your own path. I mean, I've certainly yeah. met plenty of folks in, in, the, in the industry, whether through our board of directors or in our future leaders program over the years on both the residential and commercial side of the business that have had to face that. And it is, it certainly is a, a challenge unique to, unique to those individuals. It's a great challenge. I mean, it's a, you know, I feel fortunate to be able to, to face that challenge. I don't know if I've overcome it, but face it at least. Um, so it's, it's a great challenge, really. Right on, right on. So uh, this last, speaking of challenges, I mean, obviously it's an understatement to say this uh, last year has been a challenge for uh, everyone in the industry. But uh, now that we're sort of uh, on the, you know, on the end of it, hopefully looking back, what has been, you know, what would you say has been, what have you learned most in this last year, whether it's professionally or personally, what's made the most impact on you over the last year? I think this year was, again, another year about resilience and a completely different resilience than, than the bubble and burst of, of years past, um, a resilience in adaptation, in trust, in a, a kind of a leap of faith in a lot of ways. I mean, going to a, a remote work environment, um, facing unprecedented volume levels, facing really no balance of life at that point. I mean, I believe we as an industry were fortunate because we had work to distract us. Um, I know a lot of people who did not have that. So that was both a blessing and a curse. Um, but that's been the biggest takeaway. Again, it's just resilience and trust um, and a really profound sense of community again. And I think a, a refound sense of community for a lot of us, um, why we do what we do, uh, the impact that we that we get to have in people's lives. I mean, we went through social movements in this where I think, again, the mortgage industry is just in such a unique position that we create change in the world. And we're not seen as that way in, in so many circles, but um, we give people opportunities that they wouldn't have had from a professional level. We get to help change communities um, by creating generational wealth in a lot of others. So we have a profound impact and ripple effect on the world that I think sometimes is overlooked, but I think we all got to feel it a lot this year. That's well put. That's well put. And that, you know, sort of leads us right uh, into my next question here. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, we've all seen this in, you know, friends that we know that are not in the industry necessarily, or over the, and whether this is in the, you know, post boom and bust, or, you know, more recently, you know, there's a lot of people who have sort of a, a negative, younger people who have a negative uh, um, view or perception of you know financial markets in general and, and the mortgage industry in general and in specific um in part because maybe they had a, a parent or an aunt or uncle or someone go through a, a rough time after the bust whether they were in the business and lost their job or whether they had a home that ended up uh, being foreclosed i mean they went through a, a time like that so what do you think the industry is doing right now when it comes to you know reaching those younger borrowers who may be skeptical or maybe just looking to start a family and don't really know what to do next yeah, I think the biggest thing we as an industry have started to do and can continue to do is still provide a high level of education. Because one of the things that is just so surprising to me right now is um, the level of misunderstanding about what it takes to, to get financing, um, the expectation of either too large of a down payment or too many hurdles or that it's going to be uh, smooth and, and easy. You know, I actually met a loan officer at one point who started off every consultation she had with a list of 88 things that could go horribly wrong with every loan. And it's just, uh, at first that seemed very kind of obtrusive and, and in your face. Her, her thing with that is every person is unique. You know, we're dealing with people, we're dealing with, in some cases, multi-tiered financing or multi-level when it comes to, you know, 
transactions that are concurrent closings or these are not easy these are not simple everybody deserves uh, the opportunity to have kind of that special story when it comes to them and, and be looked at as an individual so i think the education is a real key aspect and how do we connect with with buyers still especially younger buyers because um, although I think the communication is done differently today, it might be done on social media, it might be done in video, um, it's not done in leaving rate sheets on people's doorsteps and um, dropping off flyers and, you know, although that can be part of a strategy, um, the, the value in education is still there. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. And I think part of that, too, is that you just don't have in, uh, in most ed traditional educational settings, you don't have an emphasis on uh, financial education. Yeah. So you still, we're still graduating as a as a society. We're still graduating people into their early 20s that really, to your point, don't really understand what it takes to get financing to even get a car, much less a house. And uh, they, you know, end up going into it in a sense blind and relying on the uh, loan officer to educate them. So that's great. That uh, great point that you're making there. Um, so let's uh, shift gears a little bit here. Maybe flip this. Uh, so what is the industry doing right when it comes to attracting a younger workforce? This is certainly, I mean, we, you and I have both been to a number of conferences over the years. This is something that tends to always be a topic, whether it's a session or just a conversation during a reception about what do we need to do to get the younger people involved in the industry? And, you know, it's just kind of one of those, uh, you know, perennial uh, sessions and topics that always comes back. So what do you think the industry is doing right right now when it comes to bringing in those younger folks in, in the industry? I think part of what happened is also a necessity for uh new blood and just people in the industry but i think the thing that we are starting to understand more is with the different generations i mean millennials gen z um, gen x even in a lot of ways people are looking for purpose again and and having a a connection i think there's a big misnomer out there that um, the younger generations are not looking for careers that they're looking to jump jobs very quickly, that they're only here for benefits, or only here for pay, uh, and it's a very short-term mindset. I don't think that's the case. I just think that the traditional benefits that we're used to selling are maybe not aligning with a younger workforce. So I think purpose is a big part of that. And the more we can get people to understand our why as an industry and the impact that we get to have at all levels, whether it's in sales, operations, kind of on the corporate side, um, all of us, get to have be a part of that impact i think that's a big piece of what draws people here and then the other side of it to, that i believe is we have exceptional opportunities for people of all different backgrounds all different education levels i was meeting with some new team members actually just this morning and we were comparing notes on um, backgrounds on education nobody in that room went to school for business let alone real estate um, some people did not have a college education and yet we all still have an equal opportunity in the mortgage industry so i think there there is a higher level of education out there which is great and can be utilized but it's also not a deterrent for somebody who maybe college was not the right path for them um, so i think finding ways to connect with people and let them know the impact we have let them know the purpose that we serve let them know and kind of feel the why help them understand the unique benefits that we have as far as um, i mean it's a credible industry for pay ranges, um, things that you can't find other places. And there's a lot of great entry-level positions as well. Yeah, I think you make a great point. And I mean, I really like your your take on uh, purpose. And I think that, that uh, that's one thing that 
I think the industry sort of underutilizes is the stories that uh, and the sort of the purpose in that so many people have, but they never really talk about. I, I mean, yeah. real quick, we had uh, when I first started, one of the first conversations, in-depth conversations I had with one of our board members who was running a mortgage company at the time, and he'd been in the industry for you know, 30, 40 years kind of thing and was real quiet about it. And but then when I finally talked to him, he said, why did you get in the industry? You know, what what kind of brought you? Same sort of conversation we're having now. And his story, I mean, he told the story about, you know, selling uh, uh, one of his first uh, mortgages he closed was to a family. It was their first home. And I mean, he knew all their names. So this was like 30 years ago. And he remembered yeah. that. And, I mean, the passion he spoke with, with, you know, giving this family the opportunity to, to your point, to build generational wealth and to, you know, put a roof over their head and raise their family. I mean, it really made an impact on him and still did to that day. And I think that's something that the industry should be, you know, talking about more as far as uh, giving people purpose. There's no, almost there's very, very little purpose that's uh, more impactful than that on someone's life. You're right. Every, every loan officer that I talk to has that goosebump story too. They all have the story of the borrower who was just left in tears or the borrower who had been left behind by maybe another institution or was told that they could never overcome something or had credit challenges or um, every loan officer has so many of those stories. And I think that's something that also helps us connect with buyers as well um, to our earlier point, because there's so many buyers who just think that they can't qualify or they saw maybe their parents or friends or family go through hardship in the last cycle and just assume that maybe we're, we're structured in a similar way. They don't understand the product mix that was there. They don't understand, you know, the QM rules that are here and the, the ability to repay and um, how the industry has been safeguarded in a lot of ways. So there, there's, there's a, a lot of fear out there on both sides of getting into the industry professionally and also interacting with us other than people, all you hear on, on the news, anytime you turn on the news is um, house prices are, are skyrocketing and you know, you're missing out. So there's kind of a, a FOMO almost out there right now, people who are desperate to kind of dip their toe in, but they're not sure where to start. Right, no, I think that's right, I think that's right. So when it comes to uh, you know reaching borrowers and uh, you know sort of maybe keeping up with the as you, say, as you said there is a lot of FOMO going on out there right now when it comes to uh, consumer demand and expectations. How do you think the industry is doing when it comes to embracing new technologies and innovations fast enough to keep up with that? Honestly, I don't I don't know that we're doing a great job of that. I think we've made huge strides, um, especially in the last probably five years. There has been some huge strides. Um, the thing I always find so interesting is I think we hold ourselves back though. I don't think it's the client's expectations. I think it's us. And a lot of times when I'm talking to loan officers, it's my buyers aren't going to want to do this. Or there's there's almost a fear and a reluctance from our side. But when I look at it, I mean, I can, I can unlock my phone with my face. I can get into my bank account with the touch of my thumb. But somehow we as an industry think that our buyers aren't going to want to share their, their credentials for their bank accounts because we hold that so so near and dear. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore. But I do think kind of moving forward with tech, I know Sue Woodard always says, you know, that technology does not replace loan officers, but loan officers that embrace technology will replace those that don't. Mm -hmm. And I think beyond that, the loan officers who leverage it to craft an experience that aligns with their borrower's wants, those are going to be the ones that win because we're going to have a mix of buyers. We're going to have buyers who want to drop their paperwork off in our office and sit down and shake our hands and, and get face-to-face, -face, so to speak. And um, we're going to have the ones who never want to see us and who want to send us a text message, which is a thumbs up emoji that lets them know that they're funded. Um, and we have to be able to work 
with all of our buyers. And I think that's where kind of the value of a loan officer is today is to be able to be a concierge, share their, their experience, navigate those 88 things that could go horribly wrong and craft an experience that our buyers are, are in search of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then looking forward then what, uh, you know, from your perspective, I mean, this is a crystal ball talk, which so we'll make sure and bring you back on here in five or 10 years to see how, well, <laughs> see how well you did. But what does the process look like, you know, five or 10 years from now for both the uh, the borrower and for the originator, the LO? So I think, I mean, we're already starting to get to some data scraping. You know, I see some amazing vaults out there as far as keeping um, all of our information in one place. I think those will become more and more prevalent. The more we accept and are able to understand the process ourselves, the more we can kind of get out of the way and let our buyers pick their own path. Um, but with that, I, I think there's just going to be a higher level of sharing of information. I think we are going to get away more and more from traditional documentation because documentation is going to be um, more unique or more obscure in some cases, especially if, if we start getting into using cryptocurrency for any type of down payment or things that may not have a traditional paper trail. I think that digital paper trail and those breadcrumbs, um, those are going to be key to everything. And it's, I mean, gosh, maybe it's going to get to the point at some point where we can look at our phone and just tell it, I want a mortgage and it's going to do some sort of iris scan and all of our information is in in and out for bids at three lenders. You know, I don't, I don't know what that evolution evolution is going to look like, but I do believe that it's going to be more based off of our borrowers are going to control what data they give us, how long we have access to it for, and then what we can do with that data to to craft an experience for them. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've got, I think we've got a couple of different uh, um, movements going on there. I mean, the move toward uh, on just on a legislative and policy front for more consumer privacy uh, yeah. uh, laws and regulations. And to your point, putting the consumer more in the driver's seat when it comes to controlling their own uh, information. And then, yeah, I mean, the ease of uh, technology and, uh, you know, cutting down on, you know, paper documents, moving everything uh, digitally makes it even easier for the borrower to be able to control that and for the lender to be able to give the borrower that control. Yeah, I think a lot of that also goes into us working on building systems around transparency for the privacy side so that our clients know what we have access to, what we're using it for, and kind of have a high level of comfort there. Because I know, I mean, just, you know, our country as opposed to even Europe in some cases, Europe has such high, high uh, standards and strict regulation when it comes to privacy. And I think a lot of that is starting to kind of filter its way over here as well. Yeah. So then here's, I guess, here's the, the million dollar question there. How many Bitcoin does it take then to, <laughs> to qualify for a down payment? Yeah, you know, and, and that's going to be just one of the most interesting things is because, I mean, that's such a moving target. And um, I mean, we're obviously not on the gold standard now either, but um, there's going to have to be a common agreement as to what the value of Bitcoin even is. Um, right. And it can't, yeah, I don't I, think, no, yeah, I don't I, think we're going to get there until it's less volatile. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly, we can't peg anything that's, you know, having these wild swings up and down. I mean, I think until, you know, just as an industry, they realize that there's some, you know, that dust has settled when it comes to uh, government regulation and where the government stands when it comes to uh, digital currency. I mean, you're right. I, there's just no way to, no way to utilize that, unfortunately. But I think that is the, is the future for a lot of borrowers. I do too. Um, so, uh, one more, uh, a couple more questions here. So, 
Do you think that, I mean, this is certainly uh, switching gears here now, but do you think the current uh, work from home uh, trend that, we're, that we certainly got kind of tossed into in this last year, do you think that's a, a long-term trend, uh, especially with the new generation of LOs and uh, um, workers? Do you think that's long-term trend or do you think, you know, like for your, for your uh, example at uh, Mountain West, do you think that, you know, a year from now, most people are going to be back in the office or are you still going to have a pretty good mix of uh, remote people and uh, office folks? I personally think we're going to end up in some hybrid environment. Um, I think we're already finding we have people who have gravitated towards being in the office because they're able to work there. Um, maybe they have family at home or nobody at home and, you know, they kind of need the structure of an office to feel like they're being productive. We have some people who I think if they never had to get into their car and drive to an office ever again would be thrilled. Um, but I think what most of us are going to miss, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit at the beginning is we miss people. And I think the office in so many ways is a social aspect of what we do. You get to go out to lunch with your coworkers and you know get out of your house and have that work-life balance. That work-life balance is gonna be really challenged the more and more people have to work from home or, or are working from home. Um, I know some people are able to really kind of truncate their life still and, and obtain that, but a lot of us, struggle with work-life balance when you're when you're working from home. So I think think a lot of us will end up in a hybrid environment. I know a lot of companies, mortgage industry and not, are looking at reworking their current working space. Um, I know we're looking at how do you make space more flexible to allow for somebody to come in for a day, for a week, um, to, to have an entire department come in and, and kind of connect. But those are the pieces that we really struggle with, I think, when we're not in person is uh, that you can connect with people digitally, but I believe that you build trust in person. And that's how you know that you have a team behind you on the operational side, on the sales side. I mean, regardless really of kind of what side of the coin you're on, trust is built in person. So I think we at least will, will strive to continue to build trust that way, uh, but it will be very purposeful. Having people come in for, for meetings, having people come in to work on projects, um, allowing people to kind of build that trust and collaboration in person and then execute it on virtually and digitally and remotely. I think that's where we as an industry are going. That's an interesting model there. I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense to do the, the you know, the planning and the executing, the brainstorming in person, where it's really tough to replicate that over a Zoom call, as yeah. we all found out over the last year, and then, you know, execute it remotely. That makes a lot of sense. Especially if there's so, more than uh, two kind of stakeholders in that. I mean, I know, you know, two stakeholders can kind of go back and forth in a Zoom call, but it's in, you've been on calls where you have five, six, ten people on there and, um, it's just impossible in some cases to hear people and, and really feel like you have a good feeling for the room. You can't feel that emotion. You can't feel that excitement. You can't feel the energy that comes from that at all. And I think as we work through initiatives that require that, bringing kind of that brain trust together um, and then allowing people to execute remotely, we'll see a lot of success in that as well. Yeah. Well, and I think also you've got the, the challenge of it's one thing if you've got long-term employees that have they've you know imbibed the culture of the of the company and they can you know you can continue that uh you know culture outside the office but if you bring in new folks yeah. i mean there's no way you cannot build that culture you know strictly through a zoom or a remote environment so i think you're right there's going to definitely have to be some sort of a uh, in-office uh, experience moving forward for sure yeah we've all talked about how do you enculturate people remotely um and it's something I think every company, again, regardless of, of the industry right now, is trying to figure out whatever your culture is, how do you let it live beyond the four walls of your offices or of your, your corporate office at the very least, if not all offices. Um, 
that's a challenge for all of us. And I think we're all trying to find the next best thing for that and trying to make it um, so it is a tangible thing and not just something somebody hears in a welcome orientation video, but that's uh, that's something I think we're all struggling with still. Yeah, it's it's going to be hard long term to replace you know looking at looking somebody in the eye and actually shaking their hand. I mean, it's just impossible yeah. to, to uh, get rid of that. Um, so uh, last question here. Let's have a little fun with this one here. Tell us something about yourself that uh, most of your colleagues uh, might not know. Um, so for me, I would say, I again, I, I never expected to end up in the industry. So my path before this uh, is I went to school for architecture. I ended up in graphic design, um, took no business classes. I think I took one marketing class in my entire life. Uh, but as part of that, I got some really amazing experiences. I worked for Disney um, as an Imagineer for a while. I uh, also kind of my my hidden talent. I don't know if it's a talent, it's useless, but I have almost perfect uh, color vision. I was tested as a graphic designer in what they call the Munsell color chart. And my color uh, vision, I guess you could say, is 0.03% off. Wow. Huh. So it's a completely useless talent. I can't yeah. do anything with it, but uh, it's something not a lot of people know about me. It's helpful when you're you know, reading those black and white uh, mortgage documents. <laughs> Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I had no idea. I surround myself with color. That's something to put on your resume. I, that's more interesting in a lot of ways of being in the mortgage industry. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny you mentioned the you know no uh, you know very little uh, marketing classes and all that. I mean, my uh, uh, in college, I had a I was in a bachelor of science program and switched out to a bachelor of arts specifically so I wouldn't have to take macroeconomics. I took Same. one day of it and said. I don't like this and I don't ever want to have it. So I was as far away from the business school as, as humanly possible. And that of course wound up here. So yeah. I mean, I my my formal degree is a Bachelor of Fine Arts, even. And so that's clearly doesn't feel applicable for the mortgage industry. But like I said, I was talking to colleagues this morning who ended up in one of them went to school for forestry, one of them went to school for business, one of them went for um, computer engineering. I mean, just and they're all in sales today, every single one of them in the mortgage industry. So it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's amazing how we end up here. Yeah, and you can't teach the the whole uh, the sales uh, uh, personality anyway. That's nope. uh, you either got that or you don't. So it's, it's all hey, in the Laura, it's been great to uh, catch up with you and, uh, you know, uh, fascinating uh, hearing more about your story and, and, and all that. And uh, best of luck to you guys at uh, Mountain West going forward and uh, have a great uh, rest of your day. Thank you, Dustin. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you joined the uh, conversation here, make sure and subscribe to us on our uh, YouTube channel here. You can also find us on uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, we'll be back again next Monday for another episode of Connect. We'll see you then.